0: Hi, welcome to the Times of Israel's Daily Briefing. It is Friday, January 19th, and I'm Jessica Steinberg. I am speaking today with legal correspondent Jeremy Sharon and diaspora and Jewish world writer Kanaan Lidor. Hi, good morning to you both.
1: Good morning. Good morning, Jessica.
0: morning. It is day 105 of the war. Another soldier was killed and named in Gaza fighting, Ori Gerbi, bringing the total number of slain troops killed in the ground offensive to 194. War Cabinet Minister Gadi Eisenkot told Channel 12's Uvda investigative program that there will be no Entebbe-like operation to save the hostages in Gaza and that it is time to make a deal for them. We will talk about Haifa allowing an anti-war demonstration, a brouhaha with the postal authority, women being allowed, in a sense, on the top council of the chief rabbinate, and a very quiet comeback for ravers after NOVA. All of that after a quick break. The Technion
2: Israel Institute of Technology is where some of Israel's brightest minds ask the biggest question of all. What if? What if they could take on the world's biggest challenges? What if they could develop life-changing environmental, scientific,
0: Break this down for us. So an anti-war demonstration is being allowed in Haifa on Saturday, on Shabbat, in a central location. It's the first time since the fighting in Gaza began, and that was after pressure from the High Court. Tell us what's involved in that decision, please.
1: So as the, the High Court said yesterday, this was actually a really important uh, situation involving involving what the Court said was the fundamental right to protest. And so what played out in court was a petition by protest organisers, anti-war protest organisers who uh, objected to the fact that the police have syst- what they said systematically prevented them from holding uh, a demonstration against the war. So, um, especially uh, parts of Arab society, uh, including some of the Arab political parties, uh, as well as other pro uh, pro peace, anti-war groups, have for months been trying to hold a- an anti-war protest. Um, there was one in Tel Aviv, but in the north there hasn't been anything. And Earlier this month, the, these groups filed the first of three requests to the police to, uh, to to hold a protest, and the police rejected all three of those. And uh, last last week, uh, after the third one was filed, and the police said no, the 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 these groups, would including which include the Kadash, you know, left wing uh, Arab political party and some other pro peace, anti war groups, filed a petition to the high court demanding that they be be allowed the right to to protest. So so the The police, uh, the police said that they couldn't uh, allow the the protest to go ahead because, firstly, they said they were worried about violence from counter protesters, uh, uh, which they wouldn't be able to, uh, which would you know disturb the public order, lead to riots, and second, they said because there's a war going on, their their resources and manpower stretch very thin, and. Because the the, the organizers wanted to do a protest on Saturday night, this was a particularly problematic time for them, and they just couldn't devote the resources because it could lead to um, problems in other in other you know districts. The petitioners you know rejected rejected these arguments, and they said that the police have political motivations in preventing anti-war rallies. They pointed to the fact that the police have allowed a, a, a protest in Tel Aviv, which was explicitly pro. Resettling Gaza, like rebuilding uh, Israeli settlements in Gaza, they also pointed to the fact that there was an uh, the police in Jerusalem allowed an ultra nationalist march to go through the old city, through the uh, Muslim quarter uh, uh, of the old city, um, and and it was th- that the message of that march was to call for the waqf, which administers the uh, the the Muslim holy sites on the temple on the Temple Mount, to 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 eject them from the site, and that 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 uh, march was also given a permit, Just having said that, it was actually cancelled, or, or it, was, it was broken up because, uh, as it happened, but the fact is that it was given a permit. So, and, and they and they also made a special point in the petition of saying that, you know, the National Security Minister, Itamar Bengvir, who has power over the police, commented back in November that he has given instructions to stop all protests. He said, stop protests which identify with the Hamas Nazis, but essentially he was referring to uh, anti-war protests, uh, the, the one, uh, for instance, which uh, was requested in Tel Aviv. So, so during the hearing on, on Thursday, the, the, um, the, the justices weren't particularly impressed with, with what the police had to say, to be honest. The police, just before the, the hearing took place, the The police propo- gave a counter proposal um, uh, for to hold for the organisers to hold a rally on the outskirts of Haifa with uh, about a third of the number of people they had originally requested, and l- l- one of the judges, uh, she said that you know this it isn't the job of the police to co- rearrange and make it re- make a completely different protest. Actually, it's the job of the police to try as hard as possible to approve protest which is which has been requested. The whole point of a protest is to be seen and to be visible and to, by by kind of uh, banishing them to the outskirts of the city that basically you know negates the point of the protest. But more critically both to the judges in particular the acting president Uzi Vogelman and uh, Daphne, Daphne Barak, they specifically highlighted the issue of, of, of freedom of protest uh, especially during war and uh, during the hearing uh, Uzi Vogelman said don't you think that you, the police, should actually uh, try and use your resources to prevent the counter-protesters uh, interfering with the right to protest of these people, as opposed to you know, you know, uh, uh, basically sub, you know, submitting to their threats of, uh, uh, of violence. And right at the end of right at the end of the case uh right and then uh, once they issued the, the ruling they, the the justices both said uh, all all three justices wrote that um, you know this is this is a, a critical issue of the fundamental right to protest and that's especially that's especially relevant even you know e- during during times of war and and, and they said they wrote specific, specifically threats of violence from other parties cannot be used as a consideration by the police to limit to limit what the protest is about
0: yeah, I think it sounds like it's actually going to be kind of a landmark decision in a sense, because there are certainly many more demonstrations that are being planned and being announced as uh, the days in the war really grow.
1: The, the Secretary General of, of the Khadash party who was there in the hearing, he's, he said to me this is, in the end what happened was the organizers requested 1,500 people uh, on Saturday night. Um, in the middle, in, in uh, Paris Square in Haifa. And in the end, the police said, we can give you 700 people, not on Saturday night, but on Saturday afternoon. They said that makes it more convenient for them. They, they, their resources will be less stretched. Um, and so I said I said to uh, the Secretary General of khadash I said, why, uh, you know, th- this is an interesting, you know, you've, you've actually compromised quite a lot here. And he said, we have, it's not everything we wanted, but he said, this is an important achievement because this is the first authorised big protest in in Haifa and in the whole northern district, um, calling for calling for uh, uh, you know an end to the war, and he said that's a big achievement, and uh, I think I think that that it is as you said an important um, kind of uh, m- landmark in, in in terms of the court telling the police that after months and months of, of refusing these kind of uh, uh, demonstrations, uh, the court has said to the police that, that that they must do more to to enable them.
0: Okay, thanks for that, Jeremy. Uh, sticking with the High Court, but on a different topic, none. I'm trying to discern here if the High Court decision about women being allowed to serve on the Chief Rabbinate's top council is a breakthrough ruling or is sort of some kind of midway step. Tell us about that. Explain it to me.
3: So the ruling came uh, earlier this week that uh, women may serve both on the uh, Rabbinate Council, the, basically the top arbiter on honorabilical issues and on the general assembly of the rabbinate, which elects the chief rabbis. And uh, that sounds, as you mentioned, Jessica, like a big deal, because finally we're going to get some uh, egalitarian representation on a body, in a body where only 10% of the assembly is female, uh, and hey, who knows, maybe... Uh, female chief rabbi, right? Well, not so, not so fast, because the court um, stopped short of enforcing um, egalitarianism in that body, and it only said that a contingent of the assembly may um, m- may be women, because that contingent, and the, the, this is the controversy, that contingent is the rabbis. Contingent, uh, the assembly is made up of the uh, public representatives and the rabbis. <clears throat> and um, uh, a feminist group called Kolech, which promotes egalitarianism in Orthodox circles, actually uh, petitioned the High Court to um, to to uh, say that the rabbis contingent, which has a majority in the assembly, uh, women can serve under that hat as well. Uh, and the argument was. Um, that rabbi has a lot of inst- the word rabbi has multiple instructions in Hebrew one of them is simply teacher and um, one cannot deny the petitioners said that women especially in the past 40 years have have reached uh, with Torah studies being open to them being more um, popular among women have reached the level of knowledge and education that is comparable to those of people whom the rabbinate names rabbis, namely Orthodox men who made who graduated a smicha study, uh, rabbinical studies. Uh, so that the uh, decision came down. There was one. Um, there was one dissenting opinion which said that this is um, this is just creative uh, jurisprudence here, and that the law because the contingent of the rabbis that's rooted in a 1980 law um, that 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 uses those words and you know the argument was we all know what that word means let's not get too creative here so we we really shouldn't tread not in legal interpretation uh, of that sort and not in um the the, the rabbinical uh, the rabbinical sphere of interpretation which is not our natural sphere Um, And um, in the end, the panel of three justices ruled in favor of allowing this. What this means in practice, probably not much, because um, the the rabbinate, the, the body, the council of the rabbinate, is a deeply orthodox body elected, selected rather, by the chief rabbis, the Ashkenazi and Sephardic. And they are extremely unlikely to appoint a woman to that body.
0: Right. But it is a very creative loophole in terms of arguing the point. So, okay, thanks, Kanan. We're going to take a quick break. When we're back, we will talk about one more High Court issue um, and some other things. Hold on. Stay with us.
2: You're listening to this podcast, so I know you care about the war in Israel right now. And you've been reading the headlines, Massacre in Gaza, genocide perpetrated by hamas no by israel but if you've been listening to this podcast long enough you know one thing this stuff seems complicated and honestly no one can really just pick a side or decide an opinion without really learning without really knowing what you're talking about and that's where this podcast comes in check out unpacking israeli history now in its sixth season they have episodes with topics ranging from what is Hamas anyway, to whether Israel should ransom captured soldiers, and the history of Israel and its disengagement from Gaza in 2005. Unpacking Israeli history cuts through the noise and helps you understand Israel's present through understanding Israel's history. So, educate yourself. Learn the history behind the headlines. Find Unpacking Israeli History wherever you listen to your podcasts.
0: Okay, so Jeremy, back to the High Court. Uh, This time with Communications Minister Shlomo Karhi, who wants the Israel Postal Authority chairman out and does not want the High Court to interfere, which it has. What do we think is actually happening here? Give us the background.
1: Well, you know, the government took office in January, and uh, by July, Communications Minister Shlomo Kahi and uh, his fellow cabinet minister, Dudi Salem, who has uh, authority over government companies like the Israel Postal Service, decided that the head of the Israel Postal Service, Mishael Vaknin, was doing a terrible, terrible job, uh, and they fired him. And there was various issues with the actual dismissal process, so that by September, Vaknin himself had petitioned the High Court against the dismissal. And the court decided to freeze that dismissal because they, they also pointed to various problems with the with, with the dismissal process. And what Vaknin alleged and what others, including senior officials, uh, have agreed with is that he was fired because, not because of any particular problem with his uh, work as the head of the Israel Postal Service, but rather because Karhi uh, and Salem, in particular wanted to appoint uh, their cronies to to the government companies, which are an important, uh, a, a big source of, of potential appointments for for the government, and the court in the court in September uh, agreed with this position that it was very problematic. And then in, in earlier this month, the, the three justices on the court, including, I should say, a very well, perhaps the most conservative justice of all, uh, essentially warned Karhi uh, uh, that and Am that if he, they did not reverse the firing. Uh, the dismissal of Vaknin, they would probably order order them to do so. The problem is, is that the judges the, the judges pointed out that it's almost never happened in 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 the last half century that a government has fired the director of of of, of a govern government, government com- company. Um, it, 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 it's just a situation which has never it's never happened. And, and one of the judges, I think it was uh, uh, Isaac Amit, said something catastrophic would have had to happen in order for you to fire this man, Vaknin. But but you know he was in office for six. Uh, you were in office for six months before you fired him. What possibly could have been so so awful that he did in that time that 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 you should fire him for that? Um, now Karhi and Amsalem, uh, you know, reject this, and they said they did the proper procedures and so on. Um, and it, it basically on on Wednesday, Karhi uh, reacted to the the court's warning, saying that they would order him. Uh, to uh, they would order him to reverse the dismissal if he doesn't do it himself, and he said basically, go ahead, make my day essentially because he he he, Kar- he went off on a long rambling letter about the judicial overhaul and the the high court's recent decision to overturn the reasonableness limitation law, which was a landmark decision and he said you know i'm the I'm the elected official here I have the authority, the, the, that, that, that power is vested in me. And in fact, if you want to reverse my decision, then I'll give, he, he kind of wrote a very kind of sarcastic letter. He said, if you want to reverse my decision, then I'll go ahead and give you a kind of a handover briefing for how to run all of the post office as well, not just uh, hiring, uh, hiring and firing the, 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 uh, the, the head of the, the postal service. But essentially, what, what Kahe did was, he said he, he totally rejects the uh, the High Court's proposal for him to reverse the decision, and 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 this is you know another example of of the government's uh, of this government's fight with the judiciary. Uh, that that fight, obviously, as we saw in the last uh, twelve months, played out in in legislation that the that the government wanted to do in order to really uh, you know rein in and restrict the power of the judiciary. That has come you know to a grinding halt because. The high court uh, stood up to the government, essentially, like we saw um, earlier this month with the two rulings um, on reasonableness and the uh, the, gov- the government's recusal law, and as well, obviously, the, the fact that the, the you know the catastrophic war we're in and the October incidents, the uh, atrocities of October seventh, that that greatly weakened uh, the you know political capital of the government, and now they're in a much weaker position vis-à-vis the, the the high court. But still, we see that this ongoing tension and conflict between the court. And the judiciary, as we see here with with Shlomo Karhi, the communications minister, and Didi Am Salem, who are both, by the way, extremely some of the most radical and populist members. They're both uh, of the Likud party. They're both in the Likud party, uh, and 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 they're continuing to you know fight uh, and shout at the court. Um, and I think this is just another example. And we're going to continue to see that um, also with Justice Minister Levin uh, and, and the appointments process for for judges. We're going to continue to see that ongoing fight and and tension. Um, between the judiciary and the government that hasn't gone away and that's still kind of bubbling away in the background.
0: Yeah, I think, right, I think we have not seen the end of it, but obviously it'll keep on popping up in these ways. Okay, turning to you, Kanan, just as a final piece, you reported on a trance rave that took place last Saturday in Modine Forest. Three month anniversary of the Nova Desert rave during which three hundred and sixty four people were killed and dozens abducted to Gaza. Tell us what it was actually like to be there in person what the what the feeling was among the people who attended.
3: so I would actually like to start um with last night because last night I was uh, we were sleeping in in the bedroom with four people. The kids are sleeping in our uh, bedroom because uh, they're afraid of the rocket sirens and then, in the background, woof, 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 that, uh, the base of a nearby disco. And this was the first time in uh, over three months that they, they actually had a, a, a Thursday night party, uh, which is the biggest rave night of the week. Uh, so the rave scene is back, despite the war, as this little scene, I think, captures. It waits for no one. Uh, it actually started according to people in the techno scene, which is a different sub-genre uh, than the rave scene, but never mind. Um, it started two weeks after October 7 in the guise of, and maybe it's not a guise, but under the title of therapy sessions. Uh, so you have you have this, the, the, this um, component of the scene that's determined to party on. It's been three months, it's too long. You know, they have a lifestyle to maintain here. But you also have... Um, some people who who were really struggling to um, re- regain some sort of sense of, of normalcy and they do it also uh, by way of tributes to the Nova. you know, there's this argument, is it appropriate in the community? I mean, and the people who are, who are holding the, these parties are saying, what do you mean? Is it appropriate? One in every four victims of October 7 was a, a rave fan because of the Nova festival you know there's like more than 300 people killed there the DJ stage I should say had two Israeli flags flanking it which you know it sounds maybe trivial but it's not especially not in the cosmopolitical rave scene you know these people they they come to these parties to forget about the flag and the war and the conflict and everything else frankly Uh, so this was a stark reminder a lot of people wore Nova flags with the logo of the Nova festival um I spoke to people who said, you know, I felt like uh, they obviously they lost a lot of friends at Nova because it's not such a huge scene in Israel. Um a few thousand, maybe tens of thousands of people. Everybody knows someone who uh you know, and they said, you know, I, one of them said I felt like I was I was dancing with with angels. Um the victims. Uh that said, you know, this is it's without permit. It's basically an illegal gathering, so uh, the location is sent like forty-five minutes before the party starts on the WhatsApp group. All very hush hush. It's also very subdued. There's you know not those happy songs. It's more like the classicals of the classics. Sorry of the nineties. Everything is um, is a little bit low key uh, in comparison to normal. I hear I'm not exactly a uh, rave uh, a staple attendee. of those are. <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. but it's it's another sign that um, that part of society as is uh, as applies to our society as a whole you know despite the traumas despite the pain despite all the hiccups is slowly returning to n- normal life under the circumstances
0: yep demonstrations and raves we started and began with gatherings <laughs> Okay. Thank you, Jeremy. Thank you, Kana'an, for being with me on today's briefing. Been good to see you. Thanks, Jessica. Thank you. And thanks to all of you for listening to the Times Visuals Daily Briefing. We'll be back again tomorrow. This episode was produced by the Podwaves. If you have comments, always feel free to drop us an email at podcast at times of Until next time, take care. Shabbat shalom. Be well.